One of the traditions that, that my family has is on Thanksgiving, as we eat, or either before or after the meal, we go around and say what we're thankful for. And I'd like to do that this morning, but I'd like to narrow our focus a little bit to what about God are you thankful for? What about His character? What about what He has done, what He has provided? What kinds of things are you thankful for? And just open it up for a couple people this morning. His provision. His provision. Amen. His grace, creation. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Amen. Rather than just leaving and leaving us abandoned, providing a comforter. Unchanging. Unchanging. His love. Forgiveness. His faithfulness. Amen. The hope we find in Him. And there is found in no other. The joy He gives. Stability. Stability. Boy, we need that in this day and age. What was that? Persistence. Amen. Hunts us down. Chases us. His protection. His protection. As I listen to these things... It brings new meaning to thanksgiving. And, and not that we shouldn't thank God for all the other things and, and family and, and things like that. Those are wonderful gifts of God. But there's something about thanking God for who He is and for what He has done that brings us to worship. That brings us to a heart of worship. The last song we sang this morning, Thank You, was, was just going through and thanking God for His work. His work on the cross. His salvation. And this, this Thanksgiving, I pray that that is where our focus is. That we're reminding ourselves continually, what has God done? And getting excited about it. And praising Him. We're in the middle of a study on, on God's Word. And actually, the, the five solas, but we're starting with Sola Scriptura, study of God's Word. And again, it's something to be thankful for, isn't it? Without God's Word, without His guidance, Without His revelation to us, where would we be? And so this morning, we, we continue to be thankful for that and, and continue to study in, in part two of the evidence for God's Word. And we, we keep in mind that we don't necessarily need that evidence as believers. We know it's God's Word. We've felt the power in our hearts. But how are we prepared to engage the world around us? How are we prepared to talk to people that maybe don't accept it as God's Word? How can we answer their questions and answer them with, with well-thought-out answers that draw them to, to God and draw him, them to His Holy Word? And when we talk about evidence, we talk about a preponderance of evidence. That there's, there's all of these little pieces of evidence that together, the weight of all those evidence can bring us to no other conclusion except that this is God's Word, written by God Himself, inspired by God Himself, given as a gift for us. How many of you braved Black Friday? It's nice to see that you're here. I think the ones that are missing also tried to brave Black Friday. Anyone on Thursday? couple people? You, you had to work Thursday? I, I had not seen very many stores do that before. 
Now, I did not brave Black Friday. I, I did that once and got up at 4 or 5 in the morning to go get stuff, and that won't happen again. But um, we did go out and do some shopping yesterday. And it was really interesting yesterday, because I hadn't been to, to Friday and the sales, but, but how did I know that it actually happened? Stuff was on the floor. Stores were still a disaster. There's empty spots on the shelves. It what? It was picked over. That's right. One of the things I found was like the display thing, and it was the last one left. I'm like, yes, I win. Um, and um, but but there's these evidences of what happened and the mayhem that happened on Thursday. Another evidence was many of you posted on your Facebook statuses. Tried to go to the store, or got this, or survived this, or angry about this, you know, whatever it was. And so there's all these evidences that even though I wasn't there on Thursday, or Friday, even though I I wasn't at the store, I was pretty sure that a sale happened. (laughs) Is that a reasonable expectation? I go to my newspaper, and there's all these sale ads, and it's another evidence that brings me to a reasonable conclusion that a sale happened on, on Friday, and mayhem. That's where we're at as we study a preponderance of evidence for God's Word. Last week we looked at the first four. Evidence about the author. God's protection and provision. And it answers the question, why is the Bible even needed? Why would God provide the Bible and is He able? Then we looked at evidence about the nature of the Bible. And it answers the question, what makes the Bible so different? What makes the Bible so special? And many of these are questions that I have fielded and you have fielded. Third one we looked at was internal testimony, the testimony of Scripture itself. What does the Bible claim about itself and is it consistent? So many times I hear people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself, it's not consistent. Why would we even read such a book? And we answered that question. The fourth evidence that we looked at was the corroborating evidence and the testimony of other eyewitnesses in the early church. And it really goes to answering the question, isn't this just a bunch of made-up stories? And the, the, the challenge that says, well, nothing in the Bible is really true anyway. And we answered that. And we saw how the corroborating evidence and the early authors and the eyewitnesses had a different story. Today, we're going to just do a jet tour through four more. And we'll try to get through them. And, and we have a lot of things to, to cover And like I said, we'll just be hitting tidbits of each of these, hopefully to to inspire you to deeper study and research and looking at these things. Fifth evidence, and the one we want to start with today, is the external evidence. The external evidence. Is there testimony from other writers that are non-Christian writers and so are, are actually do not have a vested interest in the faith to to write that the Bible is true, is there evidence from them that the events of God's Word are true? And specifically, we'll be looking at the New Testament. The answer is the question, well, wouldn't some other writers of the time have mentioned these events if they were true? I mean, if Jesus really existed, wouldn't some other historians have mentioned Him? And and, and people have asked that. They're like, well, okay, n- none of these things really happen because we don't see them elsewhere. Well, actually, we do. And that's some of the evidence, and and I I list some of the things there, a place for sources. And let me just read some of the sources and read some of the evidences that we have. Josephus, if you've heard of him, he was a a 
Jewish historian that we talk about a lot. He was a Pharisee, and so he was a Jew. He was not a Christian. He was not a believer. But he, in his work that is, is largely accepted as valid, references Jesus and the other events of the Bible. He references the Old Testament, and he references it in the three sections, the law, the prophets, and the songs, or the poetry, which is what the, the Hebrew Old Testament was divided into. He references that people were willing to die for the Bible. And, and he references that they believed it should not be added to or taken away from. He mentions many of the details in the Old Testament and New Testament. This is a secular historian who has no vested interest in Christianity. Actually, as a Jew, it could be argued that he has an interest against Christianity. He talks about James, brother of Jesus. He talks about John the Baptist and that he was martyred. He talks about Jesus. And this is a a text that some have disputed and said, well, how would he write that? But the manuscript evidence really favors it. Let me just read what he wrote. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets have foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct to this day. Do we have extra biblical evidence from non-believers? Absolutely. It wasn't just Josephus. Thallus, who wrote in 52 AD, a little bit after Christ, one of the things he mentions was a darkness that fell at a crucifixion of Jesus. Now, he came to a different conclusion. He felt like it was a solar eclipse. And that was his explanation. But isn't it interesting that the Bible once again is validated? And I get really excited about this stuff because it, it again, it's, it's not absolute proof for us because we know the Bible is God's Word. But it's great in conversation. Another writer, though, says it couldn't have been a a solar eclipse. Um, It was the time of a, a full moon. If, you, if they went back to the, the crucifixion, and if you know a full moon, you can't have a solar eclipse at the time because the moon has to cross between the earth and the sun. And so it was something altogether different, but the darkness happened. The Talmud, an ancient collection of rabbinical laws, a commentary on Mosaic laws, written about 400 years, actually there was two of them, 400 and 500 years after Christ, But they mention much of the Old Testament and validate that. They also mention in the second Talmud, Jesus and His death. We looked last week that the quotations of the early church fathers supported that. We have historians such as Tacitus that corroborate events. Some of the events corroborated there is the crucifixion of Jesus by Romans and Pontius Pilate. Worship of Jesus as a deity. Belief in a resurrection in an empty tomb. Do we have external evidence that shows us that what is written in God's Word is true? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Dr. Geisler, Mike Wilkins, and J.P. Moreland discuss what we could know about Jesus entirely from sources other than the Bible. It's really fascinating. And I'm not suggesting, again, that we should get our information from other sources. These, again, are just evidences to help us understand why we believe what we believe. They said you can come up with it that Jesus was a Jewish teacher. He lived a wise and virtuous life. He performed signs and wonders. Many people believed He performed healings and exorcisms. He was rejected by Jewish leaders. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius at Passover time. He was believed by His disciples to have been raised from the dead three days later. An empty tomb was found. Despite His shameful death, His followers who believed He was still alive spread beyond Palestine so that there were multitudes in Rome by A.D. 64. The external evidence points to the Bible being true. And it's just another piece in the preponderance of evidence. Next piece, number six in your notes, the manuscript evidence. The manuscript evidence, the bibliographical text. And I don't know if you've ever heard, but people sometimes have come to me and said, well, okay, again, the Bible, we don't even know that it's what the authors wrote. I don't know if any of you have heard that in your college campuses or in your workplace. We don't even know if it's what the authors wrote. People have changed it to sort of fit the needs of the church and taken out any, any discrepancies. And How can we know? One, one man was in, in a, a graduate-level class reading his Bible, and the professor said, you know, that's just a, a silly book that's a crutch. You're silly to even be reading it. It's not even true. And the man talked to the professor and said, well, okay, what are some books you accept? And he listed some books from history, some ancient books, and asked the question, well, how can you know those are true? How can you know those are reliable? And the professor said, well, there's some tests that we have, some ways that we can tell. And there's two major ones. One is, how close in date are the manuscripts that we have to when it was actually written? Makes sense, right? If, if I write something today and you find a copy of it tomorrow, you know that that's pretty close in time. Now, if, if I write something today and you find it, well, you won't, but someone else finds it a thousand years from now, that's a little bit harder to say, well, is that what Ron actually wrote? Make sense? And so the closer in time we have to the, the original writings, the less time for the text to be corrupted, the, the less time for errors to come into it. And so... That is one of the tests, the professor said. Another test is, well, how many copies do we have? How many manuscripts do we have? And when we go to ancient texts, the quantity of those texts is very important. And then a, a sub-point of that is, as you have a quantity of texts, you can compare them to see if there's any errors. And if they all compare exactly the same and you have a multitude of texts, then you have a very high reliability that what you have is what the author actually wrote. Make sense? Or, or are you all just like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. I, I have some charts and we'll explain this because this is, this is exciting and this is actually very powerful, one of several powerful evidences that are, that are just good for us as believers to know. Some, some ancient documents that have been accepted. One is the history of Herodotus. And go ahead and put the first chart up there. It'll list a bunch of them, and I'm not sure how much you can see. This is 
the years from the original. So from when they were written to the oldest manuscript we have, about how far away that is. History of Herodotus, it is about, it was written about 480 to 425 BC. Our earliest copy is 900 AD. So you're looking at about 1300 years. And these are considered valid and reliable texts. We'll, we'll get to the number of copies we have in, in a, another one. Um, the history of Thucydides. Um, again, scholars don't doubt the authenticity, but this again is about 1300 years later, written about 460 to 400 BC. The oldest manuscript we have is about 900 AD. Plato, you guys heard of him? I have never heard someone say, well, you know, I don't think Plato actually said that. I don't think he wrote that. It, what we have is considered accurate. It is considered reliable. And again, we have about 1,300 years. I can get this to work. 1,300 years between when he wrote and the oldest manuscript that we have. Aristotle, another one that I've never heard anyone question. Again, written around 343 B.C. The earliest copy we have is about 1,443 years later. But yet it's valid. A couple of others I'll just mention briefly. Caesar, his history of the Gaelic Wars. Probably about 900, 950 years later. Josephus, who I mentioned that people always go to, that secular people go to as reliable. Um, we have, interestingly enough, in Greek, we have about 900 years between, there you go, 900 years between the original and what we have in Latin, we have about 400 years, which is why this is smaller. And so we look at this and we think, okay, this is, this is really reliable. We only have 400 years between when it, when it was written and what we have, so that's really reliable. Interesting enough, this one, Homer's Iliad. Anyone study that in high school? You, everyone does, right? Just about everybody. And that is almost 2,000 years between when it was written and what we have. So far, so good? I know you didn't come for history today, but you're getting some. So let's talk about where the Bible fits into this. Let's put the next chart up. The Bible. Isn't that cool? If all those others are, are declared valid and reliable by scholastic sources, the Bible here were fragments we have within 30 or 40 years of when it was actually written. Not 1,300 years, 30 or 40 years. We have full books of the Bible within 100 to 150 years of when it was written. We have closer manuscripts from the original authorship of the Bible than any other book in recorded history. And it's not even close. So when someone says, well, I don't think what we have is actually what was written. Hmm. Let's talk. Matter of fact, um, scholars, oops, I can, that doesn't help to point there. Let's point here. <laughs> Sorry, I should probably look at my notes at some point too. This is just, this, this gets me excited. Scholars have said that 30, 40 years is not even enough time for errors in copies to propagate. Remember, they're copying them by hand. They don't fire up their PC and print. They're copying them by hand. And 30, 40 years is simply not enough time for an error to propagate. Is that exciting? Let's look at number of manuscripts. 
Okay, so let's, let's go to this next one. Again, the more copies we have, the more reliable it is. Running through these things, I'm going to look at my notes because I can't read that. Um, hopefully you can. You can see they're all really small at the beginning. History of Herodotus, we have 15 copies. It's considered very valid because of that. History of Thucydides, we have about eight manuscripts. Plato, seven manuscripts. Aristotle, Aristotle is a little bump up here, that's nice. We have about 49 manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of Aristotle. So we have a very high reliability that this is actually what he wrote. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, about 10 copies. Josephus, we have about 11 copies, you see there. Homer's Iliad, now this is, this is the second most copies we have other than the Bible, 643 manuscripts. Ancient manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. So, so we have quite a bit of attest, attestation to that. So far, so good? Let's add the Bible in. Okay, I, I don't know whether you can see this. Homer's Iliad, the high one, is there. Do you see the comparison? Of the Bible, we have about 25,000 ancient manuscripts. Catch that? 25,000 ancient manuscripts that we can compare, that we can tell that they are consistent, that they are, like we said earlier, within a, a very small date range from when they were written. I'll just read some of the, the interesting things. About 25,000 full manuscripts of the, of the New Testament alone. So actually, if you go to the the Old Testament and add those, that'll be more. About 5,600 manuscripts are in Greek. All dated before the printing press. These are ancient documents. In fact, just recently in 1975, there was a fire at um, St. Catherine's Monastery and St. George's Tower there. They found a hidden compartment. Over 200 more biblical manuscripts that are ancient. 90 of those, New Testament, 110, Old Testament. And they matched. It's estimated they have about 50,000 fragments sealed in boxes. From the fra and that, that's at the, actually from the same tower. From those fragments alone, they were able to construct about 50 more copies of the New Testament. Here's what some scholars say about the New Testament. Bruce Metzger, the quantity of New Testament material is almost embarrassing in comparison with other works of antiquity. Do you see that? This is what we have for the Bible. This is what we have for other accepted ancient works. What we have is incredibly reliable. Don't ever let someone convince you otherwise. Other New Testament historians, we have far better and more reliable texts of the New Testament than any other ancient work, whatever. If you do not accept the text of the Bible we have as accurate to its original authorship, you cannot accept any other historical document we have. I love that quote. If we can't accept the Bible as historically accurate, there is no other document that we have that we can accept. Is it silly to believe the Bible? I would argue it's silly not to. 
And I, I hope these help. Let me keep moving here. I think on your notes I have about um, scribal care of the Old Testament. And we can, you can take down the, the picture. I'm not sh- I don't have another picture yet. We'll get to the Dead Sea Scrolls in a moment. Um, yeah, you can leave that up. That's great. With the Old Testament, how do we know that that was transmitted correctly? Because again, no word processor, no printing press, no laser printer. It was someone by hand making copies. And if you've ever copied something by hand, anyone made mistakes? Yeah, I mean, give me a grocery list and I'll get it wrong. Get it getting to the store. Well, what did they do to make sure they copied it correctly? And the Old Testament scribes and, and Jewish scribes had a whole process and a whole series of rules to make sure that they didn't change God's Word. They had such a high view of God's Word and, and that should convict us as how we treat God's Word. But here's some of their rules. Scribe was required to prepare a parchment and dedicate it. The parchment had to be clean. And before they started copying, it had to be dedicated to God's Word. They had rules about the ink that they were supposed to use, how many columns they were supposed to use, how many lines were to be on a piece of parchment. They were never allowed to copy from memory. They must use an authentic manuscript. Also, as they wrote, they were required to pronounce every word out loud. To make, you know, we've all done this. You're writing and you skip things and, and you get things out of order. Every time a scribe wrote the word Yahweh, the Hebrew word for God, he was required to wipe his pen clean and wash his entire body in reverence for God and His Word. Did they take God's Word seriously? Do we take God's Word seriously? I'm convicted. Within 30 days of completion, the scroll was examined and checked for accuracy. If there was even one error on a sheet, it was destroyed. No whiteout, no scratching it out, no crossing it out. If there was one error on a sheet, it was destroyed. If mistakes were on three separate pages of the manuscript, the entire manuscript was destroyed. Written by hand. These are not small manuscripts. To make sure that they got the the words correct and the letters correct, every word, every paragraph, and every letter was counted. And if it didn't match exactly to the original count, it was destroyed. Does that give you some confidence in how the Bible was, was, was transmitted? In 1947, there was an astounding find near the Dead Sea in the Dead Sea, Sca- Dead sea Caves um, the scroll, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And up until then, they were using an Old Testament manuscript that was dated about 900 A.D. So actually a little bit older than our New Testament manuscripts. And they found these scrolls, and, and Happy provided some pictures, just for fun. If we can get to the dead... Um, we'll get back to this in, in other evidence. Can you go to um, Happy's PowerPoint? There we go. And so this is cave number four. There were 11 caves, and this is cave number four, and, and Happy has been there, so we're, this is, I think, your picture. Uh, and some of these are, are other pictures. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is climbing up to cave number one. Okay? 
Don't know who that is. <laughs> we have came, cave number one from below at Qumran. We're just going to go through these quickly. A view out at the Dead Sea. And then cave number three. Cave number six, I don't know whether you can see it. If we can go back, get back, go back one if you can. Cave number six, I believe, is right up there. That dark spot, which is sort of the whole thing. But um, it's there. And then cave number 11, you can get a picture of the size. And a young boy found these. There's all kinds of stories of how. But he found these caves. And inside the caves were a bunch of manuscripts. And I'd love to go into in detail, but we're just not going to have the time this morning. But these were written by the Essenes, a separatist religious group, and they were manuscripts of the Old Testament. And what was interesting, do you remember, I, I said that 900 AD was the Old Testament copy they were working from up to this point. These were all dated at about 200 to 68 BC. So you're looking at about a thousand years earlier. And so they find these manuscripts a thousand years earlier. They contain nearly the whole Old Testament in different fragments and, and different scrolls. The entire book of Isaiah is intact. And as they have, have discovered these and, and looked at what's written on them, they found that there was near complete consistency with the text that they were using from 900 A.D. A thousand years earlier. The only differences were some spelling differences and some, some usage of words differences because language changes over a thousand years. And they were accurate and they verified the text we were using a thousand years later. If you remember, the very first thing we talked about last week is, is God able to preserve his word? Amen. He is able. He is powerful. And this was just one find that verified that. There were over 900 intact scrolls, over 40,000 pieces of old scrolls. Our oldest copies of the Old Testament were found there. So that's a jet tour through manuscript evidence. Books are written on this. We could spend a lot more time but what I'm hoping that we get across and start to give us ability to talk to people is we have the most reliable text of any other book. We have the most copies because this is God's word that he preserved. Why was the Bible preserved more than any other book? Because of God Almighty himself preserving his word. And so it not only gives us confidence in his word, it gives us confidence into our God that he cared enough about us to preserve his word, to make sure we had what he said so we could know him. Number seven, we still have two more to get through this morning. Number seven is another, I think, very powerful one, evidence of fulfilled prophecy. Evidence of fulfilled prophecy. Are there times in God's word where it says something that will happen, and we know from the manuscripts we have that it was said before the event happened, and then it came true. And absolutely there are. In fact, just some statistics, if we look at just the prophecies about Christ, there's, there's somewhere between 100 and 200 direct prophecies about Christ Himself in the Old Testament. 
And we find that they were each and every one of them fulfilled. One mathematician, Stoner, took, took the idea and said, okay, what if just eight of those? What if we're just considering eight of them? Not between 100 and 200, but just between eight of them. And some in our home group have heard this before, so just don't, don't fall asleep on me. If we took just eight prophecies and the probability of those eight prophecies coming true in one person is about 10 to the 17th. To, to, let me explain that because that number means nothing to me. It's 10 with 17 zeros after it. The illustration he gave helped me a little bit more. Let's say we took that many silver dollars and we laid them on the face of Texas. They would cover the state two feet deep. Texas is a little state. Now, to sort of understand the odds of this coming true, with just eight prophecies, blindfold a man, tell him there's one marked coin, and go find it. In Texas, two feet deep with coins. That is the probability of just eight prophecies about Christ coming true. And we have between 100 and 200 all that came true. This is why I believe this is so powerful. Because because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know that the Old Testament was written before the life of Christ. No one can argue that. And so then you start to say, as you talk with someone that doesn't know Christ, okay, how did this happen? How did this happen? Let's look at some of the prophecies that came through. Came true. Turn with me to a couple of these. Um, Micah 5.2. And I'm just going to use a few of them this morning, but I think it's, it's fun to look at. Micah 5.2. Written four or five hundred years before Christ came. Especially as we enter the Christmas season, these are fun to look at. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And this, in this prophetic text, we see that the Christ would come from Bethlehem. Again, that's probably not one that he could make sure was fulfilled. He can't decide where he's born. It's just one. And he was, Christ was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jeremiah 31.15. Flip over to that, back a little bit. Jeremiah 31.15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. It's a reference to the children that were killed as Herod was trying to kill Jesus. It's prophesied centuries before. Isaiah 7.14 Turn there. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign, a familiar verse. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. You see Matthew quoting that, the birth of Christ. 
Malachi 3.1 talks about John the Baptist or a messenger coming before. Zechariah 9.9 talks about the Christ coming in in the triumphal entry on a donkey. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Fulfilled. Psalm 22, verse 16. And Psalm 22 is, is considered, a, again, a messianic psalm that's looking forward to the Christ, to the Messiah. Dogs have surrounded me, we read in verse 16. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That should send chills up and down our spine because that's exactly what happened at the crucifixion written a thousand years before it happened. And the crucifixion is described in detail. That He was pierced. That no bones were broken. That lots were cast for His clothing. And we see prophecy fulfilled over and over and over again. And the statistics are staggering that this points to the truth of God's Word. As we studied Nehemiah, we saw that the exile was prophesied. And it happened. And every one of these that happens points to the Bible being the supernatural Word of God because you just can't make this stuff up. I don't know how much you've tried to predict things. Football later today, or actually probably right now. Some of your favorite teams are playing, and you, you can try to predict, oh, this is going to be the score, and, and, and what are you, you right maybe half the time? For some of your teams, maybe less. And, and we just say, okay, we can't predict, but the Bible is right 100% of the time, over and over and over again. And people dare say it's not God's Word. If you considered 48 prophecies rather than 8, the odds of those being all fulfilled is about 10 with 157 zeros after it. It's a lot bigger than Texas. But Christ fulfilled them. Praise God. Praise God. May our faith be strengthened. Last category, looking at archaeological and historical evidence. Sometimes the question that is posed to me is, well, doesn't research contradict the Bible? Doesn't what we find contradict the Bible? And it's interesting because those items that they say are contradictory keep falling. Every year, more keep falling. As they they dig more and as they do more research, they discovered, oh wait, maybe that is true. This category, again, is so broad, and if you, if you read books on it, and maybe subscribe to Biblical Archaeology Today, and, or look online, you could spend hours and hours and days and days researching it. So I'm just going to give a few, a few little fun ones um, that support that the Bible is God's Word. One Jewish archaeologist wrote, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Not one. 
And again, if the Bible wasn't true, wouldn't we be finding evidence of that? Jericho, that we read about in Joshua chapter 6. In 1936, archaeologists were digging and they found the mud bricks. And it was interesting because they found that the, the walls fell to the outside instead of to the inside. Usually in a siege, the walls fall to the inside. And the walls fell to the outside. As we know from God's Word, that God is the one that took down the walls. Interestingly enough, a German excavation also found that the, that the northern part of the city, there was a short stretch of lower wall that didn't fall, and houses were built up against it. Do you remember someone that didn't die in Jericho? Rahab, who had a house built up against the wall. They also found distinct evidence that the city was burned. And if you read through the Joshua account, the Israelites burned the city. That was one that people said for a long time, Jericho never existed. Never existed. Bible's an error. And they found it, and the details that they found matched God's Word. We can talk about the flood and the ark, and it's interesting that cultures throughout the world all have, or many of them, have a flood story. The Bible is the only one with dates and genealogies, however. We find fossils of fish on mountains, whales going through fossil layers. I was watching National Geographic Channel a few months back, and I don't know whether you can tell what this picture is. Let me get my handy-dandy laser pointer. There it is. This is a picture of Niagara Falls. And if I can figure out how to use this. And this is the current Niagara Falls. And they look at, okay, this is what it was a number of years back, and you can't read those years, but in 1886, this is where it was in 1842, this is where it was in 1819, 1764, on up. And this is actually posted at the falls. This is a poster they have. And by looking at the rate of erosion, they find that, and there's all kinds of estimates, if the rate of erosion is constant, it looks as if it started eroding about 7,000 years ago. However, if there was an event where there was extra water, an extra flow of water, it would have been about 4,000 years ago that Niagara Falls started eroding. About 4,000 years ago, there was a flood that covered the whole earth and began the process. Just sort of fun. Tribute penny in Matthew 22. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 20. Again, many of these are, are items that people used to try to show that the Bible was false. Matthew 22, verse 20. I'll start at verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Again, in archaeological discoveries, they found what they believe is the tribute penny. With a picture of Caesar here. And this was probably the coin that Jesus had in his hand. As he was talking about that, and they found it. Actually, they found a number of them. 
Sir William Ramsey, a skeptic, studied Luke for 30 years to try to find errors. And he concluded, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Amazing. Many had said Luke was an error because he, he had things like a census. And people had to enroll to be taxed. Remember all that? It's in Christmas story that we read. Well, recent discoveries found Quirinius on inscriptions. And they found that they actually did enroll taxpayers. And they actually did take a census. And they found proof of that. And another argument against the validity of the Bible failed. Paul, in Romans chapter 16, mentions Erastus, a treasure. And, it, and if you go to the next picture, again, that was something that everyone said, well, no, that, didn't, that was a made-up person. It wasn't really there. In Corinth, excavations found this brick and, that, and several more. And on that brick, it says in Latin, if you can read Latin. I can't either. Erastus, commissioner of public works, laid this pavement at his own expense. And another person in the Bible confirmed by archaeology. Now, we, we have to be careful as we look at these things. We're going to get to this one in a minute. Anyone ever heard the, the, seen the email that goes around about NASA missing a day, a little over a day, and then confirming it with, with biblical truths? If, if you've had that email, this is something that just to be careful of, and, and we need to be, be cautious as believers. The whole story is a hoax. NASA never did that study. They never came up with a missing day. And it's great proof for the Bible, except that it's not true. And as we use proofs for the Bible, and as we look at these things, it's important that we double-check and make sure that what we're saying is true. Now, there are some other interesting things about the missing time. There are ancient legends from around the globe, and you have to understand they're legends. They're not absolute proof. But it's reported by historians that records of the Chinese during the reign of Emperor Yeo, who lived at the same time as Joshua, reported a long day. Herodotus, a Greek historian, wrote that an account of a long day appears in records of Egyptian priests. Others cite records of Mexicans of the sun standing, of the sun standing still for an entire day. Again, they give a year, the seven rabbits, and it corresponds to the year of Joshua. So these legends tend to say that this actually happened. There's a couple of others like that. Another one that was often used to discredit the Bible, 2 Kings 15. And if you turn there, we'll just look at, this will be the last one we look at. 2 Kings 15. Look at verse 29. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and took Ejon. Abel, Beth, Mekah, Genoa, Kadesh, and Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee, including all the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. goes on to talk about Hosea and some others. And so we have Tig. We have Tiglath here that came in and was part of taking northern Israel away into captivity. 
And this was again one of those things that historians said that never happened. We have no record of that happening. It's made up. The northern kingdom was never taken into captivity. It's interesting because they found his castle or his, his throne room and they found inscriptions. And this is one of the inscriptions that they found that actually is filled with writing. And it gives a history. And they've translated some of those things. And I just want to read a few of these. I'll pick and choose because we're short on time. Um, One of them is talking about who he received tribute from. And one of the mentions on this this piece of clay is Jehoahaz of Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 13, we have Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, begin to reign over Israel and Samaria. So we see a correspondence. We see some other of, I received tribute um, from Manahem, and, and we see that in 2 Kings chapter 15. But then on this document, I received from him Israel, all its inhabitants and their possessions. I led to Assyria. They overthrew their king Pekah, and I placed Hosea as king over them. Exactly what we read in 2 Kings. I would have loved to see the face of those that were translating this who said this campaign never existed. There's more like that. And it's just another external document that shows that the events of God's Word are reliable and true. We looked at our theology of God's Word at the beginning. And we looked at inspiration of Scripture. It's the very words of God. And we looked at the inerrancy of Scripture, that there is no error. And then as we've looked through these external evidences, my prayer is that it gives us an answer for people who would question. It gives us something to talk about. But as we end, I'd like to go back to just a couple of verses and remind ourselves what we're talking about. Remind ourselves of the seriousness people took of God's Word and His ability to preserve it. And just listen. Psalm 119.89 Your Word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Isaiah 40, verse 8 The grass withers and the flowers fall but the Word of our God stands forever. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God gave us His word. And He sent it. And it will accomplish what He desires it to accomplish. But will we take it seriously? 
Will we take time in, in busy holidays to even open it? To even look at the very words of God and say, okay, what does He want to tell me? How does He want to feed me? Will we take the time to study it? Will we take the time to memorize it? And I challenge us, do we care about God's Word? Do we care? Or have we read it once and put it on a shelf? But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is alive and active every time we read it. It's not uncommon for my kids for one of them to, to be talking to the others and trying to get their way, and they'll pull out the, well, Daddy says. Daddy said this. And to them, what does that mean? It's true. That's the final authority. And they're, they're pulling out the nuke there. Daddy said this. Dad said this. Heavenly Father said this. It's that important. We'll be taking a break for our Christmas services, but then we'll pick back up with just two more weeks as we talk about the different versions, the different translations, and how we study God's Word together. But I pray that in the last four weeks, we've given a foundation biblically and then with answers for for those that don't believe in Christ to see that this is what Dad said. May we take it seriously. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank You so much for Your Word. For the complete revelation about Yourself, about what You would have us do. May we cherish it because You wrote it in love. Lord, may we be a people that are committed to it, committed to studying it, to devouring it, to tasting every word and enjoying it. Lord, may we obey every command that's written in it. May we reverently read every verse that describes who You are. Thank you for your word. In your name, amen.